Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. I have a guest who I know it sounds really crazy. She, it doesn't sound crazy, but it's just something we never think of. And I have Diana Benavides, who is a piñata maker. Hi, Diana. How are you? <laughs> hey, good, Jessica. Thank you for having me today. An artist, piñata maker. Prior to us, me hitting record, I was saying I'm so excited because this is one of those things that we never think of. We just buy our piñatas. We don't think of the people behind them and the people who make them and why they choose to make the things that they do. And like the, it's a whole art form and everything. So I am super excited because you're, do you live in TJ or do you live on the San Diego side? Now I live in, in San Diego. But I mean, I grew up in Escondido. So I am like, you know, very binational kid growing up and going to Tijuana all the time with my family. And then when you hit, you know, 16, 17, we had our fake IDs going to the clubs until, <laughs> until you hit 21. And then you're like, and eh. then we go for like, you know, ceviche and like, you know, going to Puerto Nuevo, which is not the same as it used to be. Puerto <laughs> Nuevo used to be like this hidden gem. Right. Yeah. Used to get yeah. all these things. And now it's so different <laughs> from when I grew up. <laughs> Completely different. Yeah. But I'm so excited because I just know we're going to have a lot to talk about. And I'm going to read your bio and then we'll talk about the wine if you're drinking or not drinking, which is fine either way. But let me go ahead and read your bio. Diana Benavides is a binational artist from the San Diego Tijuana border region. Her art practice explores piñata making as a method of expression and storytelling. Diana builds piñatas that reflect upon her experiences growing up as a woman in a border town. Her work is characterized for introducing materials not commonly found in traditional piñatas, such as media, gadgets, and technology. Diana received a BA in visual arts from UC San Diego, and her art has been exhibited in Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, and the U.S. That is so cool. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm just like, so I want to know everything. But before we get into all the chisme, we always start with the wine. So can you tell me, are you partaking? Are you drinking any wine today? I'm not drinking any wine today. I'm so sorry. But I love okay. wine. I love wine. I just, you know. Didn't, I didn't get to the store in time today. It's okay. You know what? If I had to rely on going to the store half the time, I wouldn't have wine either. Thankfully, I do have a lot of wine. I'm actually down to my last couple glasses of Encanto Vineyards 2017 Sauvignon Blanc. And it depends on what I like for my Sauvignon Blanc because Sauvignon Blancs tend to be very, uh, like I'm not a big New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc person because they're very grapefruit forward. And I don't like grapefruit. And that's all I can taste when I taste, you know, certain Sauvignon Blancs. But this one, thankfully, does not 
tastes like grapefruit. I think it's been a while since I've had it too. This one, I smell like more, it's definitely more green. So I smell like green grass and some apple and definitely have some citrus in there, but it's not grapefruit. So, salud, Diana. Saludcita, saludcita. Mm. And it's finally warm here. Oh my gosh. Can you believe this craziness we've been having in San Diego? This is the first time I see a blue sky. I know. I was so excited to put on shorts and a t-shirt and chanclas. And I mean, I always have my chanclas on. I'm like, regardless of weather, I feel like. (laughs) But this is the first time I like, I got to dress for like summer and walk around and take the dogs for a walk and go get a pedicure. Like, oh my gosh, it, I'm just, (sighs) it's been so, right. It hasn't not, hasn't not been depressing. It's been cold, depressing. I missed having a spring where I, at least if it's going to be a little bit chilly, at least get some sunlight, you know, Yeah. dark and cold and not knowing what you're going to wear. So I'm looking forward to a little bit of warm weather and sunshine. I know. I hope this is like the break, right? I hope this is like, okay. Because I swear we had May, gray, June gloom since January. (laughs) I'm so over it. But that's why I chose a white wine, a little bit fresher, a little bit crisper, you know, a little bit cooler. Because I just told you, I just walked up the hill from Little Italy. And (laughs) because I went to go and get my toes done and went to go have a drink at my boyfriend's restaurant. And I was like, I gotta go. And so I'm kind of a little sweaty. You know, it's so much fun. You're so glad you were doing this on Zoom. <laughs> it's okay. I kind of miss sweaty faces and feeling sweat myself. <laughs> hey, it feels good. And I worked out today. I've been getting back into my workout. So let me tell you, walking up that steep hill from little Italy to my place, I feel every step. I'm like, Okay, my nalgas better be looking good. (laughs) Okay, now let's get into the cheese because people are like, I don't care about this. (laughs) You know, tell me about growing up. If you were always like an artsy kid, were, were those the things that appealed to you growing up? Because I always say, like, I feel like art does, as an adult, realizing art takes the form of several different things. But what was the thing that drew you like growing up? Were you as excited for the piñatas as we were like, what were the things that drew you in as a kid and made you excited growing up? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of kids and adults who might identify with this. But as a kid, I didn't really like to break my piñata. And I had piñatas probably from age two to eight. And I always thought that there were really beautiful objects that I didn't really feel like breaking them, regardless of how much fun it was to get candy and see everyone celebrate around it. I always thought that there's much to do with that. And um, I wanted to save piñatas, you know. But I think what really spiked my curiosity as a kid was, you know, I grew up in Tijuana and in San Diego, you know, as a binational kid. So for those who are not familiar with like the the border crossing culture here in San Diego and Tijuana, um, basically, you know, there's plenty of individuals like myself who were born in the U.S. side, 
But then as soon as you're out of the hospital, you go straight to Tijuana. Sometimes you're, you're raised there for your entire life. And, you know, you have, you know, the citizen, U.S. citizenship, but you establish a life in Tijuana. For me, it was, you know, at some point I told my mom I wanted to learn English like my cousins. So I wanted to go to school in San Diego. And so she decided that maybe it would be great for me to live with my grandfather in Chula Vista, which is the neighboring town to, uh, you know, Tijuana. It's closer to the border. And my grandfather loved um, just rescuing things by the dumpster. So, you know, we have a culture here in, in the United States where we, we you know, overconsumption, right? Yeah. And people will discard things without thinking about it. In Tijuana, it's a little more like, you know, you try to use up things, or at least back when I was a child over there, accessibility to things were in the same way as in the U.S. side. So my grandfather rescued everything that was next to a trash bin, a dumpster. He saved a lot of just random things in his apartment for me to play. There was like hundreds of pill containers, you know, those orange <laughs> pill containers. He saved them so I could make little buildings and cities. He saved a lot of popsicle sticks, just a lot of like items that could have been discarded but because they were plastic, he saw that there was like an opportunity for those objects to live on as other things, including toys for me. I think from an early age, I started to feel very comfortable with um, working with materials that people would consider discarded objects, trash. I think I was average kid who was interested in the arts. I never thought of myself as a as an artist or wanted to be an artist. So um, probably that came later as an adult, but you know, I definitely felt like I was more towards the visual arts things than probably science and reading and, you know, all those fun things that actually give you a, a high paying job later on in life. So, you know, I think that's a little bit of how I start to feel comfortable. Like I said, building things out of, things that people don't want anymore. In Tijuana, you know, at some point after 9-11, my mom decided that, you know, it was better to just all of us stay together in Tijuana. So I moved permanently, or at least for that period of time, to Tijuana. And we lived in this in this block where there was a dulceria, which is a Mexican candy store, a party supply store, and they made piñatas there. And the owner was friends of the family. And one day she asked my mom, hey, do you think Diana would be interested in, you know, helping her on the store? We can pay her. I was 12, but, you know, in Tijuana and Mexico, different, different, you know. You start working early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we see that a lot of times, right? People just, I mean, especially if they're not well off, you have kids there, like little kids, little you have moms with babies strapped on them trying to make a buck. I Yeah, girl. It was a normal thing. It wasn't a weird child's exploitation type of thing. You know, I started uh, helping around the candy store, mostly doing like cleaning up here, restocking candy, stealing candy because I was <laughs> in the candy store. Wait, and... Okay, so I have to ask, what was your favorite? I know what my favorite is, and it is so hard to find compared to okay. when I was younger. Well, what is your favorite candy? My favorite candy, well, I like tamarindo and pulparindos and no, everything like that's like... I was a pulparindo for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no way. 
<laughs> yes. I found a, 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 my sister found a dress and then she did like the iron on, she found the thing and like did the iron on and put it on my, yeah, I was a pupariendo for Halloween last year. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, so, so tamarindo, pulparindo, anything else? What would else? Those were your favorites? Yeah, yeah, I think so. How about you? Okay, mine is like this, it's like, like a spicy chamoy with a saledito in the middle. Oh, oh, does it come in a little container? Yes, in the oh, little plastic. Those, those are yes. Okay, thank you. Because I so many it. people don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So we used to go there all the time and we would get like packets of them, like the whole giant packets because my uh, dad loved them. Like we all love them. And you just drink the chile or the chum, like it's like a spicy chamoy. And yeah. then you have the saladit. Oh my God. I cannot find them anywhere. You know, the only place I ended up finding them was in ja was in Old Town, San Diego. Interesting. Because they have a dulceria there. And I found them there. I have gone to so many dulcerias in TJ and I can't uh -huh. find them. For me, getting those little cups that you're saying uh -huh. and then getting a um, paleta de la manita, like the hand. Ooh, yeah. And then just kind of scoop the, the, the chamoy. That was yes. like my favorite combination of things. Uh, uh, I, you know what? Now I'm going to have to go back to Old Town and see if they have them because I am like, those were my, by far my favorite. And then obviously after school, we would get the saladito, you know, not the saladitos, the sal, the sal y limones. And apparently they are like the packaging for those growing up was like terrible. Or I don't know, maybe it was the limon itself, but I saw things like, oh, we were just eating like, Blood. I don't know, basically straight poison or something like that. And I'm like, well, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I just built an immunity to it then. <laughs> the kinds of things we ate and, you know, we were yes. so, so helping out in that dulceria, like, was that the first time you got exposed? I mean, outside of just, Obviously, you had family parties and there's piñatas and everything like that. But what was it like when you were working there? Was that the inkling, like seeing how it was made? Or like, what was that light that turned on when your connection to piñatas? Yeah, so basically at some point, the owner, you know, saw that I was curious about what was happening in the back room where it was dark, but they had like all these piñatas suspended and they're working on them. And, you know, she was like, hey, do you want to learn how to we make piñatas? I was like, yeah. And so she walked me through the whole process. And I mean, I already knew that piñatas were incredible and I didn't want to break them, but learning how much material and time and dedication went to them, I was like, wow, these are sculptures, you know? And sad that they're built to be broken so I feel like just having that brief exposure to it, because I never really helped them make the piñatas. I was just kind of like, I would see them make them and they walked me through the process. But after that, it was like, wow, like this is art, you know? And that little idea kind of like stuck in the back of my head. So later on, you know, I kind of like try to drag that questions and those questions and thoughts. I was like, oh, well, you know, piñatas, sculptures. Hmm. Interesting. Art comes in so many different forms. 
I don't think in that way, right? I can write, like I'm a good writer. I can sing, but like when it comes to what we, what most people think is art, right? A painting or a sculpture or anything like that, girl, I could barely draw stick figures. I think of all these things and I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I get so curious and so overwhelmed with curiosity when I meet somebody who produces these things with their hand or they look at something and they can see something that you never, you never thought you would see, right? And you have these people that just see, that have this vision that obviously if everybody had the vision, that's one thing, but not everybody has those visions. And I think to be able to say, oh, I want to be in that back room. Something's there that I like, especially as a kid. Sometimes we ignore those things, right? As like, oh, I was just a kid and I want, and then we end up kind of taking another path. Because we feel like, oh, we're not a kid anymore. We can't, like the world kind of beats us down, so to speak, of like, oh, those are kiddie things. That's not for you. That's not what an adult is. That's not what a grown person does. Did you have that time where you were, like, where was your artistic ability always falling into? Was it always in those like sculpture, piñata type of things? Or was it somewhere else? And did you have that experience where you're like, well, I'm growing up and maybe I shouldn't focus on this? Or were you just able to kind of really focus on that the whole time? For me to respond to that question, I have to give a little bit of context of what my teenage years yes, were. Please. And I'm sorry. I know I just threw no, a no, lot. No, no, no. Because like, I, and, and it, at first it's going to seem like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, um, but, you know, I grew up, like I mentioned, in Tijuana, most of my early teenage years, preteens too. So um, by 12, I was pretty, there was a lot of freedom in my life. My parents were getting separated. My mom was dealing with things. So I got an opportunity to explore like underground cultures. And when I mean with that by that is, I think the first show, like concert or like a band playing I saw was around when I was 12. I went to... I stood out, outside a bar in Plaza El Zapato and, and by Plaza Rio, which was a very popular place where they had all these clubs and bars and it was like the place to go. Oh, we just hung out on Revolución, girl. <laughs> but yeah, but that was like a, like another little like chunk of, of, of nightlife that happened, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. that it happened like they had concerts there and, show, and bands playing. And so... I start slowly started to um, become involved in the in the punk rock music scene in Tijuana, where you know something that's very predominant about the punk rock culture is the DIY, you know, do it yourself mindset. If there's something that doesn't exist out there, you do it. If you want your clothing to look this way, you're gonna have to do it yourself. So for me, like I was already kind of like. Well, okay, well, this is like, I want this, I want to see, I want to experiment with aesthetics and the way that probably is unique in a sense, right? So with that mindset, I went, I personally am terrible at every technical skill that involves art. I can't draw. I have, I have stick figures. I can't draw. Yeah, <laughs> I have a degree in art and I can't draw sculpture. I am terrified of the woodshop machines. If it's like 
the metal shop, what kind of, you know, all those tools seemed very scary to me, you know? Painting, I thought it was good, but I never did really good figurative painting, which is like trying to do really hyper-realistic things or things that look like nature or people. I did a lot of abstract work, but you know, you can only go so far, at least in my experience with abstract work. And so I personally liked working with my hands. I liked building things. I was used to doing that with at my grandfather's house. And so when I was in college, you know, I did many years of community college, not knowing what I wanted to do. I took graphic design classes. I took web design classes. I ended up getting an associate's degree in like arts and humanities. God knows what that means. And so I finally was like, I transferred to UCSZ. I picked visual arts because I don't know, I guess I was just a mad person just going with the flow. The thing about visual arts program ACC is that's very conceptual and contemporary. So if you want to go there and you want to learn how to paint or how to do sculptures, they're not going to teach you technical skills. Mm-hmm. You have to teach yourself whatever you want to make. Really? It's a lot about, yeah, they focus more on the concepts like the theory, like what, how can you think outside the box and produce things that, you know, seeing in a different way. It's not so much. That's cool. It is cool. It's like the focus is more like how it is done versus what it is. Because art is so subjective, right? You could stand by somebody looking at the same sculpture, the same painting, the same piñata, whatever, and feel two completely different emotions. Like I could be standing next to my boyfriend and he could be feeling something totally completely different because it is so subjective so that's really cool you would think that they would be focusing on the skills but our mind is so important is such an important aspect of everything that we do that I think that's really cool that they're focusing on how to think differently and how to see things in your own way versus the actual execution of it Yeah, definitely. It's a very unique program and you kind of have to be able to be ready to produce artwork. That would scare me though. It is scary. It is scary, but there's some freedoms and, and a lot of flexibility. So, you know, as I was developing, you know, what my focus was going to be, I really, um, I like performance art, which is kind of like using your body as a canvas. Not so Mm -hmm. much similar to theater, but it's, it's a little more, you know, focus on like, like I said, like your body, how's your body going to respond to the subject matter that you want to express? So I like that. But then one time I was like, huh, what if I make a piñata? I was like the only Mexican girl in the whole, well, there's probably two more. No, I'm pretty sure I was the only one who had the Tijuana roots, mm-hmm. you know, like the binational roots. And so at that point in time, the UCSD visual arts department was doing a lot of focus on like the cross-border culture. And there was all these artists who were either white or they were from other places that wasn't even from the region that they were making art about the border. So I thought, hey, what if I start making, you know, a few piñatas? And I had a summer where I had little money and I used to work at a dollar store in San Isidro right before crossing the border. And, you know, we used to unload a lot of merchandise. So there's plenty of cardboard. So I just started like to build these cardboard structures and 
things that kind of like reminded me of living in the 90s, you know, having analog technologies like VHS. Like my grandfather used to record on Saturday mornings the Looney Tunes or whatever cartoons they played on <laughs> Saturday mornings. He would record them on VHS and then play them for me when I was there on Monday through Thursday. So little things about the 90s and I developed a series of this that there were those little objects, little objects that reminded me of growing up in, in Chula Vista or like what I like to call it, Chula, Chula Juana. Like Chula, Juana. Chula Vista, Tijuana, Chula Juana. And one day, one of my colleagues said, hey, you know, I saw you made a lot of cool piñatas. I think I'm going to drop my solo show from the school gallery. Would you like to take that slot since you already have all these piñatas? And I was like, hey, that's a great idea. So I had my well, first solo show with piñatas. Wow. When was your, what was the very first piñata you created? Um, I think it was in 2015. It was a cigarette and it was for a photo uh, assignment about performing for the camera. And it was about breaking the habit of smoking. So it was someone with a cigarette breaking a, a cigarette piñata that I made, but I was taking the photo. So I wasn't in the photo, but I was taking the photo. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese me. So you grew up going, I don't want to break this piñata. I love it. I love it. But your first thing was breaking a piñata. <laughs> I know, but it went well with the, you know, breaking the habit. <laughs> no, it does, does, but it's just funny because you're like, I didn't want to, I don't want to break it. I don't want to break it. And you're like, you know what? It, this is meant to be broken. <laughs> but and you know what? In my defense, there is this classmate who's like, oh, I really like your piñata. Because after I broke it for the performance, I only broke in half and didn't really just, you know. Yeah. Little piece. I kind of put it together, reassemble it, and then put it next to my photos when I presented my work. So, and my classmate was like, I really like your piñata. I was like, hey, I'll sell it to you for $20. He's like, I don't have any cash on me. Well, take it today and bring me the $20 next time. And so I just kind of like, I was like, hey, that's a good idea. So um, that piñata obviously didn't make it to the solo show, but that solo show called Racing Chula Juana was the first time, because one thing to notice is that I made those piñatas that they, they weren't designed to be suspended. So there's nothing for, if I were to put them in the gallery, I couldn't suspend them. From, mm. they weren't designed to be suspended. Yeah, so I had to get um, little like pedestals, so I would put them on top of pedestals. So it's already kind of like changing the interaction that the audience would have with the piñata by being placed in the pedestal versus being suspended like a regular piñata would be. So when you have like an art show like that, and it's all piñatas, was it about the message or was it about I mean, obviously all of your piñatas are about a message. Were these traditional, like art, not obviously not traditional because of their piñatas. I'm sorry, I'm trying to just phrase it in a way that's understandable by everybody. Was it like in a show where, like with installations where you were selling these piñatas as well as an installation for somebody to be able to purchase them and put them in their home? Or was it just a, a visual to get a, a visceral reaction from people? I think the first one I did wanted to sell them, even if it was like twenty hundred dollars 
I mean, the most, the one, that was the first time that I sold a piñata for $100. Like someone paid me $100 for one and then 80 for another one. And I tried to sell as many as I could for like, I would ask the person like, well, how much, what seems fair to you for, to pay, you know? Well, I can only give you $40. So I'll take the $40 or I'll give you $100. When the one that gave me $100, I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so do you, know, do you remember what that piñata was? Yeah, it was a lipstick. It was a red lipstick. It was really cute. You that, need, all you needed was some hoops with it to go along with it. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, then I would have taken that one. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, after that, I didn't, I wasn't motivated to sell them. I wasn't, Why that was my that motivation. Is? My motivation was to, hey, let's explore difficult topics with these objects that are associated with joy and celebration but once you approach them a whole different reaction will happen so you'll have you know now it's more about yeah like what kind of like reaction do I get from the public versus creating objects that I want to sell this is not a financial uh, a wise financial decision but you know I don't know so doing this I think when we think of artists in the traditional sense we think of a starving artist and you know all of these things how did you continue to focus on your art and decide, okay, I'm not concerned about the money. Okay. I'm going to be real, real. So yeah. how are you living? <laughs> Good question. Going back to being like growing up surrounded by mostly men who played music, mm-hmm. who had that passion. Like they were playing music because that was a form to express themselves. I always kind of like, Somehow I put those forms of expression together, being an artist, visual artist, and being a musician. You create because you have something to say. Sometimes, you know, expressing what you have to say doesn't come with a financial, but something that pays you. You do it because you just have something to say, you know? And for me, words, I've always struggled with, with words, verbalizing things. How do I live now? I guess... I was very lucky to get my hands into something that a craft that had not been explored in that format of seeing it as an art practice. Mm-hmm. And because I, I was one of the um, trailblazers for piñata art, not just here in, in San Diego, but also in the United States, it gave me a lot of, I don't know, I, I got a lot of opportunity to continue to show my work and I got to also got to meet a lot of people throughout you know since I graduated from college I mean it's just building a network not only of support but also people who are genuinely interested to see what's next and they are inspired by the conversations that generate in the gallery setting or in an art space with the piñatas so being you know here when I talk about San Diego, Los Angeles, I've had an opportunity to make money, not so much about selling my artwork, but teaching others how to make piñatas and how to use it as a form of expression and how to use it as a way to tell stories. So most of my income comes from teaching others how to make piñatas as an educator. (laughs) Okay, I'm not gonna lie. Your art, like I'm on your website and I'm on your social I mean, I love that for you, but I want you to sell your art too. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they are so cool. Obviously, everybody takes their own path and everything and and they have to find the thing that's right for them. I always think that's always so interesting though, because you have like me, look what I just did. I'm like, I want you to sell your art, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure you have so many people telling you that, but you're, I think it is such a scary place to truly follow what you want to do because so many people don't, right? So many people were, were raised to think that there's only a certain path to success and anything that veers off that, you must be crazy in the, at least in the U S mm-hmm. you know, if we're veering off what the quote unquote known is, then you're taking a risk. I think the pandemic showed that no job is ever safe. Like it doesn't matter. You could have an office job and something happens. And I think a lot of people just realize like there was this opening, right? This awakening of wait, why am I spending all this time in traffic and this and that? And so when you find somebody like yourself who truly is like, you know what? This is the path. Like, that's not the path for me. And this is something totally different, which I'm honestly just working through right now because I recently lost my job. And, you know, it's a government job. So you're like, oh, it's stable, blah, blah, blah. But girl, politics is cutthroat. People be crazy. And now me focusing on on this art form, right? Quote unquote art form of of podcasting and everything is very scary. Mm -hmm. Just saying all of those things, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like panic mode sometimes. Did you ever panic? Did you ever feel like, what am I doing? Is it, am I crazy for taking this, this path less taken? Like, how are you continually going through that? Because I think that's so fascinating to feel so secure in yourself because I am not, I'm trying. (laughs) You know, that's a thing. Like I don't, I don't sell my work. There's several reasons why I don't sell it. One is control. I like having control of all my pieces because I want to show them in many places, as many places as I can. Um, Sometimes when you sell to a private collector or an institution, you don't get to have that freedom. And there's rules in place for paperworks. For example, I have sold two pieces to Minge International in Balboa Park. After they had a piñata exhibition, um, the chief curator wanted to add piñata, a couple piñatas to the permanent collection. So I was like, all right, yeah. So I sold two pieces that are, are really big, not just in scale, but they are just very wonderful pieces that I feel very proud of. Uh, one being the 17-foot rosary piñata. It's two scale, so there's six. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, so that gigantic piece, which is amazing on itself, you know, on its own, and a pair of, of sneakers are about three feet in, like, length, two to three feet in diameter. They're really big. They're really popular. People love them. And now I'm dealing with, like, there's a show happening in El Paso and in Ciudad Juarez, and the curators of the show want to add the rosary to be shown in the exhibition. But there's all this bureaucracy and formalities that have to go, that have to be in place because I'm no longer the owner. I can't decide. I can't be like, oh yeah, I'll ship it. Here you go. There's, there's things that, you know, you don't have control over 
that. And then now I learned that, you know, in the museum, one of the museum's protocols is like paperworks, which my piñata would be considered paperwork. They can be on display one year, but then they have to rest for two years. So they would not be able to be shown in two years in order to preserve the object and the paper. So there are restrictions that come and that goes a little, that can make things a little complicated if I want to show my work in other places. So having control of my over my pieces is important as an artist. To me, that's valuable, being able to showcase and share them to other audiences, as many audiences as I can. The first thing I thought is, do you get people that want to want you to commission pieces for them and come to you and say, hey, I would love for you to do this. And how do you feel about that? Have you done it? And how do you feel about that? But I want you to answer, like well, finish answering going, your question. So I'm I so was, sorry. No, no, no. Well, I was going to get to that part. And the other thing is that there are already piñata makers who make a living out of this. And I think that it's important for people to support them. If you want a custom piñata, Go to the, go to City Heights, go to, you know, your local Latin American neighborhood and buy piñatas from those local makers. You know, I am not trying to, that's not what I, I don't want to have any sort of competition. Like they are the the craftspeople of traditional piñatas, you know. Mm -hmm. The other thing is when I commission, when I've been, you know, someone wants to commission the piece, it takes a lot of the joy for me to make it. Because it's not coming from your heart. It's not something that's come from like your heart, your mind, your hands to, there's, to that. There's you... so much, yeah, there's so much pressure with um, getting someone's, what's it called? Like uh, meeting someone's um, expectations that takes the joy out of making for me. In that case, it, it becomes almost as a like a torture. And it, it like, Literally, I've procrastinated so much to start those pieces as much as long as I can, because I really don't even want to approach them. That's weird. <laughs> no, I, you know what? That's why I was so fascinated because I think everybody has their own process and everybody has their own thoughts. And like I, we were saying from the very beginning, you know, art is subjective. And the fact that you really want your pieces to be taken as art truly i mean i think what you're doing is really shifting perspective if that makes sense because we don't look at piñatas in that way we look at them as party favors really that's what we you know that's what we grew up with and we don't look at them necessarily as an art form mm -hmm. and the fact that you're taking it and you're like maybe not elevating it kind of elevating it into like no 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 we can say something and this is my way, this is my medium mm -hmm. of saying something. I think that is so cool. Now I'm looking at your website and you have different ones. Obviously I see the one, the rosary, which is so freaking cool. Is it still at the Mingi right now? Or is yeah, that put away right now? Well, no, it's not on display now, but it's, um, but it's. Okay, well, as soon as it's on display, <laughs> I need to go see and be like, I know her. I know that. But it's so cool because you have like, text me when you get home. You have the rosary. You have this a car says border crosser. You have one that, okay, I have a question. I'm looking at the estoy uh, vacando. And is it is it like a fan? Ah, te estoy watchando. Yes. So that's a drone. That's a drone. Uh, it's supposed to be a like, drone. 
I didn't even think a drone, but yeah, now that you said it, yeah, I could totally see it being a drone, but it might like, I'm hot. It's hot in here. So on the fan. Yeah. But it messes with the audio. So I can't have a fan on right now. I know. I'm sorry. And then you have this one that's like broken. And it says like, when you put it together, it says I held on to you for as long as I could, but it's really like broken. And you have like one where it's like, a piñata that's being smushed by cinder blocks. You have one that is broken and it says she was asking for it. I mean, you have some very, like you look at them and to me, I'm like, that's a really powerful statement because it's broken. Obviously, again, art is subjective. So what I say is when you see a pink piñata that is split in the middle and it says she was asking for it, what I see is you've broken her. Because you forced her to do something. This is a forced rip. You forced her to do something that she didn't want. And, oh, but she was asking for it. Because of what she was wearing. Because of what she was doing. For just simply being that, ooh, girl. I don't know if that's what you meant. But being a survivor of sexual assault. That's what I get when I see that. And, like, I have a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. to that and I'm just like wow woo. because you don't think you're going to look at piñata and see that and feel that yeah thank you for for sharing that and sharing that emotion and response to it I mean that's that's it you know it's it's to me having someone connect in a deeply personal level with any of my piñatas is what makes me feel the richest person in the whole world those conversations need to happen. And if you click on that piñata, then you're going to see other piñatas from that body of work that was called asking for it. And you'll probably see objects like a birth control pill case, a maxi pad, a tampon, a lot of objects that have a very close relationship with the, with the female body that can have a stigma attached. A lot of these objects are designed to be discreet, almost invisible, because the bo- the female body and what, what it does, it's so gross that we need to hide it, you know? And so um, these conversations need to happen. And I've had groups of, of high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school kids, they are having these conversations because they, they had that opportunity to see an artwork like a piñata that was not threatening that invited them hey come closer let's take a look you know i had to take a moment there girl because i did not realize that was going to be my reaction when i like started talking about it when i looked at it and start talking about it because you're right those are things that need to be talking about and it is a very non-threatening way because piñatas aren't seen in that way they're seen as fun they're seen, like you said, as a, like we were talking about earlier, as a big party extension of party favors at a birthday party or, you know, what, whatever. So I think what you're doing is so awesome. Like, I think it's so rad. What do you, what are you working on right now in regards to, are you constantly working on different things? Do you take breaks? Like, how does your, your work process so right now, um, I'm not working on any new pieces. I try to, nowadays, because I don't have a lot of storage space, I try to uh, be a little more, I, I like to plan out what I'm going to be making. If I have a show or I have an opportunity to showcase work, 
I will produce work closer to that exhibition date. Otherwise, I kind of just kind of jot down ideas. I start collecting ideas for future references. If I get an opportunity to showcase, I can I can drag from that wealth of sketches and ideas. But at this moment, I'm not really producing any artwork. I don't have a, a show coming up other than the one that's happening in, in Texas. But that's because it, they're using piñatas that are already made. So I'm not really making anything new. But, you know, we'll see. I did one piece for the museum school's uh, art auction happening this week. It, it went live on June 13 and, it's, and it'll be up until June 17. There'll be other artworks, not just mine. And it's going to happen at Bread and Salt in Barrio Logan. If you've never been there, I invite you to check out art shows that, you know, or just go. I have been there. I have been there. Yeah, I've been there for an exhibition and they had, uh, no, it's a very cool space, but you don't realize it's an art space because it's Mm -hmm. an old bread factory. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I think that's what's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when you do exhibitions, do you get paid for being part of the exhibition or do the, do you, in those types of things, are you only paid if something sells, but you're not plant you don't sell them. So is it just exposure? Like, how is that? Yeah, it works differently. It works differently. For the most part, I don't get paid to exhibit work. I don't really sell a lot of work. So it doesn't generate income, a lot of income when they showcase work. There'll be some spaces and museums where they will, they might finance a work, like an installation, you know, and you get paid for that. But I think for the most part, for me, it's always, uh, it generates interest for others to make piñatas. So people just start hitting me up to organize a workshop where they already have the space and I'll just kind of which is so cool because I I see that on your website that you host or or you you do workshops so when you're doing like one of the things that you said early on was that you don't use you don't use always the same materials you tend to use different materials so what type of material is normal in a piñata and what are you introducing that is completely out of the box out of the piñata, so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go back to the um, the um, drone, the piñata drone that I that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. so that was the first time I ever experimented with the with the piñata and and incorporated those like you know non traditional objects. So the drone is a cardboard structure covered with tissue paper, like a traditional piñata. However, inside the drone, I figure out a way to have these four little motors on each propeller. I figure out how to wire them. And I figure out how to attach a cord. So when you they're created plugging, the drone. So, but wait, so when you plug the cord to the outlet, the propeller starts spinning. So the piñata has that additional movement to it. <laughs> and that's something that had never been done before. And that's kind of like playing around, experimenting with the piñata. And the piñata already has movement. You know, there's always a, a drunk uncle pulling the rope. <laughs> the piñata has movement. Is <laughs> This time it has a different source of movement. That is so cool. Girl, I would never thought of that. Seriously, my brain does not work in that way. And I'm glad yours does. (laughs) The other piñata that I was going to say, if you want to take a look, was the car piñata. So that actually is a remote control piñata. It's it's battery powered. So 
if you use like a regular, you know, control remote for a, a toy car that, you know, it's a remote control car. It's the same way you would operate the piñata car the same way as a toy. So you created this. So that is not a remote control car. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. but it's not like when you bought and wrapped, you like created that. So I, I did it in a different way. So I did buy the toy and I took apart everything and just used the, the motor and the receiver so that I could actually create my own remote control car. That is so cool. Girl, again, my brain does not work <laughs> like it does not function. I would, my brain would short circuit if I was, that. <laughs> I'd be like one of those fembots from Austin Powers and be like, no, no, does not work, does not compute, does not work. I love that like a lot of what you do really kind of centers around bring others into this art form, because again, it really is an art form to be able to do that. And so you do these workshops with people, like if somebody wanted to do a workshop, I know you have a thing, like something on your website, but what does that consist of? Like how, if people want to sign up for, to do a piñata workshop, how does that work? So the most convenient way is having, if, if an organization contacts me, you know, um, for example, last year for April, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I was contacted by the LA Women's Center in East LA, and they wanted me to do a piñata workshop for them for, for April. And so I came up with a prompt. So what are ways that we can raise awareness? Are you telling a personal story through the piñata? Is explicit? Are you using words and messages in your piñata? Or are you also making it a performative piñata where the when you break it, it's kind of like giving you a statement? So if an organization or a group of people contact me, I like to do workshops that at least have 20 people, 20 to 25 people. That's like a good amount of people for me to work with. And I try to work with a budget, but, you know, I kind of have to have, if your budget is low, then we kind of have to do it in a way that I don't have to prep a lot of the work. Because if you want like, hey, I just want a hour workshop. Okay, well, I have to prep a lot of the things. I might have templates ready for you so that the people can just customize it with paper and other things. So I just kind of work around people's budget um, to make it work because I don't think, you know, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper also about the, I mean, anyone can go to YouTube and get a, a tutorial on how to make them. I think it's it's nice to interact and have a prompt and an idea. Yeah that you want to execute as a team or individually. It's always so nice to see how people get really into it. People who have never been crafty in their entire lives because they get so engaged in, in making their own piñata. So it's kind of cool. So if anyone's interested, you know, they can reach out to me on the website um, or, you know, sometimes I, I collaborate with other institutions like with Minga Museum. I've been doing like a Dia de los Muertos piñata workshop which it's free for, which is my birthday. That's my birthday. There you go. So every second, that's my birthday. So, so anybody know, listening, want to send me gifts, just feel free to send me a message. There you go. <laughs> or Venmo me some money. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah. But yeah, but it really depends on what people want and their budget. I think 
Like I said, I was just so fascinated. This I've learned so much just in Nerdars and Piñatas. What has been, have you had like a bad reaction to any of your piñatas? And which one was it? So I guess that, you know, not everyone. I don't want to say bad reaction. Let me rephrase. Have you had people give you like an over, have you ever had any of your piñatas giving you overwhelmingly, like just not what you thought it was going to be? There's going to be people who are not on board with the messages that I'm trying to express through the piñatas. So there, I mean, there's going to be pushback. There's always somebody, right? Yeah. I mean, some, some people might not want to even deal with any of these messages and topics, but I, luckily nobody has come to my face and been like, Hey, you suck. <laughs> which, which they better is, not girl. Just tell me, don't make me take my earrings off. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. I, there's other piñata artists. There's another piñata artist who I love and I've become acquainted and good friends with. His name is Roberto Benavides. He's another popular piñata artist. He is not related to me. They're not related. <laughs> but he makes very intricate piñatas and like the, his style is very cerebral. Like they're very detailed oriented versus mine. I think I'm more of an impulsive builder. So perhaps the aesthetic is, isn't as delicate as his sculptures are, but nobody's come to me and be like, oh, I, cause I had my work next to him in the, in, in the, in the museum at Menge when they had the exhibition, nobody ever said anything negative, which, you know, if anything, everyone who approached me said good things about it, but you know. Yeah. So I always ask everybody to give me one word in regards to if they if they could describe their life in one word, what would it be? And yours was zigzag, which I love because nobody's ever said zigzag. So I need to ask you, like, why, what, why do you say zigzag? I love that, first of all, because it's so unique. I just feel like everything about you is so unique. And that just makes me happy. I forgot I had run. <laughs> you're going to ask me now. I was like, oh, it's a good question. Why do I respond? And you're like, I oh, already responded. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's life. You know, you go up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's just how life is. And that's how my life has been. And it's, there's a, a uniform up and down that goes in my life, but luckily it's, you know, it's been, good and exciting so far you know can't complain even the even going down has been something I've learned from and you know doesn't I don't let it take the the zag too down yeah <laughs> or the zig or whatever it would be <laughs> you don't let you don't you don't say let the zig and the zag go too hard mm-hmm. <laughs> what is in the future what's next like what do you see for Diana Benavides and her amazing piñata art? Oof. Ah, that's a good question. I guess keep inspiring others to um to see the piñata. I mean, it's been an undervalued craft for a long, long time. One of the comments that I've gotten, the more I expose the object to younger audiences is that, oh, it's really hard to make a piñata. I should tip my piñata maker next time, you know, or hey, I think it would be worth buying a piñata from a local piñata maker instead of buying it from Walmart or Target. Yeah. Now you can find them there. You know, being able to 
raising awareness about this beautiful craft and it's been undervalued and people make a living out of it. So let's, let's support, let's support these, these folks, you know? You know what you make me want to do? You make me want to get a wine and cheese like commission a wine and cheese piñata and take it places. Like never cut it, never fill it with anything. It becomes an art piece. That's like what you're making me want to do. Well, you know, I would love, I would love to see how, how you would create one. If you were to create one. How would you create one? I don't know, because you could do, I could do the logo, right? I could either do the logo or I could do like a wine glass and like a cheese board, you know, or I could have like a mouth with wine and a cheese board because hello, <laughs> cheese man, cheese, cheese man, you know, like that's the whole thing when the whole, when I came up with the name mm-hmm. and people were like, Oh my gosh, that's such an amazing name. And I'm like, yeah, it's a play. And I'm like, people that don't know Spanish, I'm like, do you know what chisme means? No, I'm like, it means gossip. So wine and chisme is a play on wine and cheese and wine and gossip. And then they're like, I, you see people realize that and they're like, oh my gosh. So I have like, look, I have all these ideas in my head. I just, the execution is not from this woman. <laughs> I love it. I think we can we can make something happen. If not, you know, the piñata, what is it? The piñata house in City Heights, they make incredible piñatas, which is it's my favorite piñata maker. And, uh, and- I hope everybody looks at a piñata differently after they hear this. Not to say you can't. Obviously, you're still going to feel who can't. That's cool. That's nobody's saying not to do that. But just like think about it, right? Like think of of the hands that are making it and how hard it is. And especially if you are commissioning one, like things that have a lot of roundness and a lot of shape to it and whatever, those take a lot longer than versus just taking like a round ball and, and something else. But anytime you do something like that, it takes a gift to do that. And I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, more now that we are, you know, we're learning more about AI and how that is going to be impacting our future. I think it's more, it's more important now than ever to like appreciate craft and folk art. You know, you mentioned about like, oh, you know, everyday objects like baskets, you know, you, everyone has a basket at home or everyone might have the knitted thing or, you know, craft has always been around and we've taken it for granted for so long. And I think it's important to like really admire that and respect it and have appreciation for it because I don't think, I mean, there might be machines that can reproduce a lot of crafts, but, you know, having a handmade thing and having the human error in it, it's, it's something that's so valuable. Yeah. I love those things, those imperfections, mm-hmm. because that's when, you know, like somebody worked hard on it. I don't know how to like, because a machine will be too perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously not always machines aren't perfect, but like that is their, their job is to be as perfect as possible. But a humans, well, our job is not to be as perfect as possible. It's to be as perfectly ourselves as possible. Wait which is a very different thing than being perfect, right? I am 
perfectly me. You are perfectly you. And everybody who is listening, you are perfectly yourself. There will never be another person like you. I don't care if you're a twin. I don't care if you're a triplet. I don't care. Like none of that. Nobody will ever be you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the same with piñatas. Like everyone will always be different. You can have 5, 10, 15, 25 of the same piñatas, but they will all be different. That's right. Ah, I want to talk more, but I want to be respectful of your time. Diana's website dbenavides.com will be on the show notes as well as her Instagram. Diana, I always like to give an opportunity in case there was something I did not ask. There's anything else that you want to say, please take this moment to share whatever, anything else that you'd want to share. I mean, just go on the website and click on every image might have a body, a series of works. So I, I just kind of explore that. If not, go on the Instagram and just explore each of those themes because, you know, we talked about sexual assault, about our relationship with objects um, that have a stigma attached to it. But, um, you know, there these topics, these are important conversations to have. And sometimes even if you're just, hey, you know, I, li- I heard about this piano maker that makes these sculptures about such and look at this. What do you think about this? Kind of like create dialogue about that. I've heard so many people learn so much about each other. For example, a mutual friend of us, her former partner, they went to see an art exhibition that I had. It was a solo show that's called uh, Text Me When You Get Home. And that had to do about, you know, all the rituals and that women kind of have to perform in order to like navigate public spaces in a safe manner and all these like objects that we carry with ourselves it generated a conversation about not being you know as a woman you can't really go jogging or you don't feel safe jogging at night or if you want to go jogging in the morning you have to wait till there's a little bit more light and the 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 male figure in the conversation was like i had no idea I had no idea you were so paranoid about these things. I had no idea that, you know, you, you couldn't wake up at 4.30 a.m. and just go out and jog. So it just kind of helps to kind of like have that dialogue. You, you would be surprised of how little people know sometimes about the struggles that we have, maybe not just women, but other vulnerable groups and communities. That's it. And, you know, thanks so much for having me, chatting with me, chismear with me. Feel free to reach out anytime. If anyone has any questions, you can contact me via my website or Instagram. Happy to chat all the time. And we will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. But Diana, thank you so much. I literally have like 50 million other questions, but I want, like I said, I want to be respectful of your time and our listeners' time and everything else. But I am, I'm so happy that Alondra introduced us, that she connected us and that I had this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your time. I appreciate it more than you know, and we will definitely have to, I mean, you're in San Diego. You definitely have to get together. And until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. 
You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Met on our website, thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and Cheesemet on Instagram and at the Wine and Cheesemet podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemet, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.